Uh, but I hope you're still in Luke chapter 18. There is this really familiar story, as Pastor Nathan mentioned, the story of the rich young ruler. And uh, there's a great, great picture that I think perfectly illustrates this story. But before I get to it, before I show you it, I want to preface it. And so I have to tell you a little bit of backstory. <laughs> so when I was a kid growing up, uh, I used to always look forward to getting the Sunday paper. <laughs> I used to love getting the Sunday paper for two specific reasons because uh, I would always try to, it was actually a race between our siblings, uh, between my brother and, and my older brother and my younger sister. We would try to race to see who could get outside to get the Sunday paper first because we all wanted to be the first one to read the comics. That's right. The crisp comic section was the best section. I would take two sections. I would take the comic section and the sports page because I used to study box scores because I was a sports nerd uh, back in the day. Uh, but anyways, I don't do that now. Um, but anyways, I would always take the sports section, the comic section, and study those. Uh, a crisp comic section was so good, I would throw out all the other stuff. And then my parents would get mad because they couldn't find the section they were looking for. But anyways, I would just love to do that. I used to love reading the comics. Foxtrot was always my favorite. Uh, Baby Blues was a good one. Uh, Family Circus is a classic one, of course. Uh, there's, there's tons we could probably mention. I always was partial to Foxtrot. Uh, I still love that one. But uh, there's another comic, though, that I don't know. I don't remember it being, at least in our newspaper, it wasn't circulated in ours, um, but it's actually my favorite comic strip to this day, uh, which is, uh, you might have heard of this, The Far Side by Gary Larson. Have, have you, anyone, has anyone heard of The Far Side? I love The Far Side. We used to have, my dad has The Far Side Gallery, Volume 3, uh, and if you don't know what this is, The Far Side was a uh, nationally syndicated uh, cartoon that was usually a single panel cartoon, so just one little square uh, depicting some sort of scene. And usually it was with animals that could be talking or whatever, or just funnily drawn humans. <laughs> and they were usually put in a really socially awkward situation that just tried to highlight something that was funny that we would naturally as not assume or naturally uh, sort of resonate with. But one of my favorites is the one I want to show you. I'm going to show you on the PowerPoint. I'm going to see how this works. Uh, I just love this slide so much because I think it's hilarious. You may not think it's funny, and that's okay. Uh, I'll, I'll try and explain it, and I know you're not supposed to explain, explain jokes, cause, but I'm going to explain it if you don't get it. That's fine. So this slide is called the Midvale School for the Gifted, and I think it perfectly explains the story that we're going to talk about, which is this. I'll let you just look at it for a second. I love this slide. It shows this young boy... And he's going to school, and he's obviously a very gifted and bright young boy. And he's walking up the stairs to his school, which is a special school, because obviously it's the school for the gifted. And you notice what he's doing? He's pushing on a door that says pull, <laughs> which sort of doesn't follow if he's this gifted young schoolboy. <laughs> I don't know why, that always makes me laugh. This gifted child trying to get into a school building by pushing on a door that says pull. How, uh, you don't have to raise your hands and embarrass yourself. But how many of you have ever done this before? I have done this several times. <laughs> uh, going up to a door to a mall or something like that. And, just, and you are putting all your way into it. And you expect it to push open. <laughs> and then it doesn't. And you're greeted with a nice glass door in your face. <laughs> I've done that on several occasions. I always have to say that. But uh, I would say, though... This, this slide to me is obviously funny. It makes me laugh. It makes me snicker every time. But it also preaches to me. 
It preaches to me in a very profound way, I think, because I think that we can often act just like this kid. With our religion, with our spirituality, with the way that we think about our faith in Jesus Christ. We can act just like this gifted kid walking to school and pushing on a door that says pull. And we can trust in our own giftedness. We can trust in our own religiosity. We can trust in our own works to get us into heaven. And we're like this kid. We push on a door that says pull. And I think that this is the perfect little, little single panel cartoon. It preaches the message of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler is perhaps one of the most famous scenes in Jesus' ministry. It's a scene that appears in all of the synoptic gospels. You can find it in Mark chapter 10, I believe. And you can find it in Matthew chapter 19. And you can find it right here in Luke chapter 18. Obviously, if a scene is appearing in each of those instances, in each of those gospels, you can kind of know that it's important. Each gospel writer wanted to place special emphasis on this scene. The scene with this, this young ruler, as we have come to call him. The rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and asks a very serious question. It's the question from verse 18 in our text. Notice, and a certain young ruler, or a certain ruler, excuse me, asked him saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This question is so profound because it's also the question that we all think of, even if we don't admit it. Even if you don't have any sort of sense of church. The question of eternity and the question of afterlife is on everyone's minds. Even the atheist has to admit that they've thought about eternity. They've just made a really poor judgment about what it looks like and how to get there. Even someone who denies the existence of God is making a very theological assertion. It's just a very wrong one. Everyone has had thoughts about eternity. And everyone has had this uh, at some point or another. They've had this question come into my mind. How can I get and how can I guarantee my spots in heaven? We live with that. We live with that fear, that angst, that anxiety. We are born with eternity in our hearts. We, we notice that. I won't rehash it. But Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We are born with eternity in our souls. Which is an indication that we are made for another world. How can we guarantee where we go? How can we guarantee what our future home is? This is what this young ruler is here asking. There's a question that actually appears in several other instances. It appears in all of these scenes. You can find it in Luke chapter 10 verse 25. And of course in Acts chapter 16 and verse 30. It's a question that appears several times throughout the New Testament. How can I guarantee my spot in heaven? Everyone thinks about this. Everyone is having this question rolling around in their brain, even if they're not thinking about it in terms that Jesus is here going to answer. And so this young ruler asks this question, explicitly asks this teacher, Jesus from Nazareth, how can I get into heaven? How can I guarantee my spot there? And of course, as we know from the story, Jesus doesn't answer this young ruler's question in the way that he thinks, in the way that he's expecting Because, like any good teacher, he answers a question with a question. Notice verse 19. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, 
save one, that is God. You know, Jesus says, why do you call me good? Why are you, why are you calling me with that title? Yeah, the young ruler is approaching Jesus with the title good master. Or you can find it in other translations, good teacher. And it really has this emphasis on the fact that Jesus isn't divine. He's just a human. He's a really good expositor. He's a really good speaker. He's a really good teacher. He's sort of like a wise guru or a sage. Someone who has a lot of wisdom and he's imparting wisdom to his pupils. And so this young ruler is approaching Jesus in that way. And he's approaching him, oh, distinguished one, oh, excellent one. How can I become excellent like you in order to get into heaven? How do I learn how to be good, oh, good one? And assure myself of where I'm going to go. And this young ruler's mind... In this young guy's mind, as he's coming up to Jesus, all he has to hear, all he has to know is a few steps. Is a few certain things. A few certain things that he can accomplish, that he can perform, that he can achieve. And that's how he can guarantee his spot in the afterlife. By checking a few boxes, doing a few things that... That he can actually know how to do. And if he could just know those things. Tell me those things good teacher. Then I would be safe. Then I would be okay. I would feel assured. I would feel at rest. I would no longer have this sense of anxiety about the afterlife. Because I just need to know what those things are. How do I get there? What do I do? I get this sense though. Especially as you read the rest of the story, as we will in a minute. Um, I get the sense, though, that this young ruler isn't asking Jesus this question honestly. I always try to look at the scene and try to come away with something new. But I always come away with this sort of sense in this young ruler's question. That he's, he's not so asking Jesus about something that he lacks. Because as we know, as we, as we know, we, we know the, the ending of the story. We know the young ruler's response to how Jesus continues to answer him. He says, all these things I have done. So he's not trying to find out the one little smidgen of things that he, that he hasn't heard about before. He's a very studious uh, religious person. We can sort of infer that from the text. All these things I've done from my youth. <laughs> I've been in church. I've been in Sunday school. I've memorized all the verses. I've gotten every Awana merit badge you could ever possibly imagine. I've been to every single Word of Life summer camp. All the snow camps. I've won all the Christian service awards. <laughs> He's done all of that. From when he was a little guy. From when, it, it, I always see myself in this text. Because I, I, I've told you this before. Uh, my dad's a, a pastor. My grandfather's a pastor. I grew up in Sunday school. I think I was born in Sunday school. Like I, I've always been in church. It's just my whole life. It's not, I'm not meaning to sound that pious. It's just I've always been in church. And I feel like that's sort of what this guy. I've always been in church. I've always been a Christian. <laughs> so he's not asking something uh, that he lacks. He, I think actually he's probing Jesus to get the affirmation that all the things that he's doing, that's what this teacher is after. Oh, wise guru, can you make sure, can you perform an audit on all the things that I've done and make sure that they are the things that match up with eternal life? You can see his questioning. He wants to make sure that his activity is enough. That his activity is getting him there. That all, he wants verification that he has done enough. 
that, like our schoolboy, that he can be rewarded for his giftedness. That he can be sort of, all, all of that can get endorsed. And that after all of this careful obedience, after a, a sort of observing all of the law for all of his young life, he can finally say, look, I've made it. And he wants Jesus to say this. Why, of course, you're a model Christian. <laughs> You're a model of the faith. Of course you've done enough. Good job. Welcome to the kingdom. Welcome to school. You've made it. That's what he wants, I think. He's probing Jesus. He's looking for this answer. I want to be sure that I've done enough. Because he thinks he's done enough already. And notice, continue on. So Jesus asked him this question. Why do you call me good? None is good save one. Verse 19. That is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. He reminds him of the law. You know what the law says. You know what those tables say. The tables that were given to Moses on Mount Sinai. This Mosaic code that has been so cherished and treasured by this society for thousands of years. You know what it says. You know what the law preaches. You know what righteousness, what goodness looks like. I always imagine Jesus kind of smirking when he says that. You, You know how to do it already. You're asking me a silly question. Because again, he's probing Jesus. He wants affirmation that what he's done is enough. And yet, what is so fascinating to me is that this young ruler, he doesn't bat an eye. He doesn't blink. He doesn't surprised at all. He doesn't even flinch when Jesus reminds him of these commands. Verse 21. And he, the young ruler, said, All these have I kept from my youth up. His self-confidence is through the roof. <laughs> I've never done any of this stuff. I've never, I've never borne false witness. I've never stolen. I've never killed. I've never committed adultery. I've done all that. The strictness of the law, I've met it. I've achieved it. I've accomplished it all. I've done that since I was young. <laughs> Again, I've been in church since I was a little guy. I've been in church since I was born. Of course I'm religious. Of course I've done those things. And according to this Richard Euler, he's never told a lie that was that big. And he's never actually killed someone for real. And he's never stolen anything that would like really matter. He's never like he's he's maybe he's taken out like a pack of gum. But he's never stolen anything like big time. And he's never actually been immoral with anyone for real like actually. You can see this young ruler's wisdom. <laughs> he can see his logic. Those things I've never really done those things. In his mind, he's a winner. He's golden. He's the chosen one for this thing called eternal life. If you go to a Christian school, sometimes they give all those awards at at Christian schools, like Christian character or Christian service awards. (laughs) I imagine that this guy was the one who would like always win them. And you always thought they were just kind of like a teacher's pet or suck up or something. You're like, of course they win. They're always doing something. That's this guy. (laughs) Everyone's just kind of like snickering at him. You always win that. 
He's a model Christian, or so he thinks. He has all these verses memorized. He, he has all these things put to memory. He, he's doing it all, so it seems. You can, so I, I, always, I always try to picture this scene with this young guy coming up to Jesus, looking for affirmation that what he's doing is enough, that what he's got going on in his spiritual life, that's meeting the requirements of the law. And so when Jesus says, you know the law, he perks up and he's like, I sure do. I sure do know what that means. It's this thing and this thing and this thing. It's keep this commandment. And if that's all it takes to get in, where's the door? I'm sure I can open it. I'm sure that I can get in. Look at all of my giftedness. Look at all the things that I'm doing and or not doing. What's so interesting, I, I don't think it's here. I think it's actually in Mark. The, the, the parallel passage in Mark relays that after this answer, Jesus' face changes. The expression on Jesus' face changes after he hears the self-confidence of this young ruler. And it's not what you would expect. He doesn't change to get angry. His face doesn't get frustrated with this young ruler. He doesn't get mad at him. Actually, it changes to one of pity. He has pity on this guy. This young buck. Who comes up to him looking for affirmation that what he's done is enough. And you can see it. You can hear it in Jesus' words as he responds to him in verse 22 of Luke 18. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, Yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast and distribute it unto the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And when he, the young ruler, heard this, he was very sorrowful. For he was very rich. He's patient with him and he tells him, there's one thing that you haven't done. There's one thing you still lack in your checklist of things to do to get into heaven. There's one thing that you've left unchecked. You've done a lot. A lot that's really good. A lot that's really moral stuff to do. Really charitable. Good job. But there's still one thing you haven't done. You haven't sold everything. You haven't given all of yourself for the sake of others. You haven't completely laid your life down on behalf of those who are lesser than you. And you can see... Jesus' heart. I cannot help but see this passage and not think of Matthew 5. When Jesus is going through the law, he's actually preaching on the Ten Commandments. And he's saying in Matthew chapter 5, You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. And then he says, I say unto you, If you've lusted after another person in your head, you've already broken that commandment. He intensifies the law. You have heard that it was said, do not kill. And then he says, but I say unto you, if you have hatred in your heart towards your brother, or we could say, or your sister, you have already broken that commandment. You've already failed. And he's saying to this young ruler, you have heard that it was said to give of yourself. 
To make an offering to those who are lesser than you. But I say to you, unless you lay your life down completely, you do not love them in the way that fulfills the law. It's not enough. It fails. Your righteousness, your giftedness, it's not enough. You can't open the door to eternal life with that. It doesn't work. Because you see, the righteousness of heaven is perfect, 100%, unflitching, 24-7, a 365, forever type of righteousness. That's what he was lacking. Sometimes we, I, I, rightly so, we, get, we, we, we focus on the fact that he's talking about riches and this guy was rich. We, we focus on finances. You can definitely preach about finances. I think here, you can go to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19 is a really fascinating chapter. <laughs> Because it puts all these different conversations in one chapter. He talks about divorce at the beginning of chapter 19 of Matthew. And then he talks about how he he wants all the children to come to him in the next section of Matthew 19. And then we get this section. And then we get the section where he's about to talk about the impossible. And he talks about the the camel going through the eye of the needle and all that stuff. (laughs) All in one chapter. It can seem like, why is that together? He's taking everyone at their own game. He's talking about how to be justified. Yeah, he's talking about finances. But he's also talking about righteousness of the law. You think you're fulfilling it with your fidelity, with your faithfulness, with your efforts? You can't open a door by pushing it when it says pull. You can't get into heaven with your own works. It's not... Enough. You see, this is, this is the whole gambit. Jesus is taking this young guy at his own game. You want to try and get in on your own? This is the rubric. This is the standard. The law demands everything. Not just 90%. Not just 95%. Not even just 99%. It demands 100%. That's its demand. I think it's James who says if you failed in one point, you failed in them all. If you've broken one, you failed the law totally. This guy, he goes away sorrowful. Yes, because he knew that he didn't want to give up his standing. (laughs) But he knew too that he could not live up to the standard. He couldn't live up to the standard of righteousness that Jesus was here laying down. That it demands everything. It was just too much. It was too great of an ask. Too great of something to ask of him. And this is what Jesus says. Go to verse 24. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, who then can be saved? And he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. (laughs) These verses speak so loudly to our hearts that act like this young schoolboy. To our hearts that act like this rich young ruler. I've done all those things. I've checked all those boxes. I've memorized all these verses. God let me in. And we push on this door. 
And Jesus says, you can't enter into heaven that way. No one can live up to the law's demands. It's not something that you can achieve on your own terms, on your own merits, on your own basis. You can't rely on your own activity like this young ruler was. You can't rely on your own giftedness like this young student was to go into the door to heaven. You see, that's what this young ruler was doing. He was trying to push open the door that says pull. And that's the thing that I think is so sad about the story. Because sometimes I think we're all like this gifted kid from the far side going into the Midvale School for the Gifted. At least when it comes to our religion. You see, from birth, we come into this world naturally people who are bent towards self-salvation. How can I justify myself? Surely it's in my nature that I can do it. We come into this life born with that. It's in our nature. You can read Romans 5 talking about how by one trespass everyone has been born into sin. And at its heart sin is a disbelief and rejection of God. And you're saying no I don't need you. I can be my own authority and own sovereign and own ruler. I can get in by myself. And with that mindset we ask that question and we focus on those two words. You notice his question Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What can I check off? What can I accomplish? And then, if you've grown up in church like I did, I didn't get saved till I was 16 years old. You don't think I heard the gospel in those 16 years? Before I was truly saved, I preached sermons. <laughs> I preached sermons before I was saved. I knew what to say. I had some giftedness. <laughs> I, could, I could work my way around the scriptures. And with that, with that I was screaming to God, look, look what I'm doing. Look at all the things that I've accomplished. Look at all the stuff that I've done for you. God, is this enough? Can I get into heaven? Let me in with my giftedness. And I was pushing on a door that said pull. I was going up to God and saying, by any means possible, let me in. You see, this is utterly impossible. Because like this same door here in this cartoon, I know it keeps feeling to reference it, but I think it's so profound. Heaven's door can only be opened from the inside. It can only be opened by the one who is already there. And so long as we are pushing on its handle, we're actually closing ourselves off from this eternity. There's no pushing this door open precisely because it's already been opened already by Jesus himself. I'll read this verse for you. You can just write it down. You have to go there. John chapter 10 verse 7. Jesus says this. Then said Jesus unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door by me, verse 9. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the door. He is the way. He has already opened the door to eternal life for every man who has ever lived. For every woman who has ever lived. He has opened it by his death and resurrection. And we push it closed by demanding that he recognize our works as those which have opened that door for ourselves. 
We walk up the stairs with our giftedness in our hands and thinking that we, we have done this. We've accomplished something. And we push a door that he's already opened. There's a great verse. It's actually in the Gospel of John. You can write this one down too. John chapter 6 verse 29. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him who he hath sent. This is God's work for you, that you believe. Believe on the one that God has sent to die in your stead. To take your place. To open the door. This gifted kid had a delusional giftedness. It wasn't very bright. He's going up to a door that says pull and he's pushing on it. But we too, I think, are often possessed with, I would say, if it doesn't sound too harsh, a delusional righteousness. Which is the thought that our activity is enough to pull off what the righteousness of the law demands. And actually, that's an impossibility. Because the only thing that fulfills the law is love. Jesus says this in Matthew 22. Remember this, the lawyer's question? What is the greatest commandment? And he fulfills it with one word. Love. Love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And the amplification of that is not just being nice. It's laying down your life. How many of you have laid down your life for the person that you love? If you're trying to get into heaven on that merit, you've failed. (laughs) That's harsh. Guess what? There's one who has already laid down his life for you. There's one who has already fulfilled the law for you. There's one who has already met every jot and tittle of the law on your behalf. And his name is Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Lord. And he has come to do what you could never do. Be perfect love embodied. He laid down his life to fulfill righteousness in the stead of those who could never fulfill it on their own. He has come to open a door from the, out, from the inside. And all we have to do is believe, as he says. All we have to do is pull it open. Faith. Faith is the thing that ties us. The great work of scripture is actually faith. Faith in this one. This Christ. Who has opened the door to eternal life. What must I do? The young ruler asks. Jesus would say, believe. My question for you is, do you believe in this one who has fulfilled righteousness for you? Or are you still trying to get in on your own terms? Still trying to get in on your own giftedness? Still going up to this door and pushing it and pushing it with all your might? Look at what I'm doing. It'll never open. It'll never open. <laughs> And just like this young ruler will eventually be turned away and will have a very sorrowful look on our face. And Jesus will say, 
Hardly can those who trust in themselves enter the kingdom of God. But Jesus has done the impossible on your behalf. He's fulfilled all righteousness for you already. This is the fact of the gospel. A fact which has already occurred. He's done this. It is finished. Do you believe? Let us pray.